0: section 36 of the life of samuel johnson volume 3 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by anna simon the life of samuel johnson volume 3 by james boswell section 36 boswell believe me doctor you are much mistaken as to this "'for when you talk with him calmly and private, he's very liberal in his way of thinking. "'Robertson, he and I have been always very gracious.' Footnote: "'Sir,' said Johnson, "'I love Robertson, and I won't talk of his book.' End footnote. "'The first time I met him was one evening at Strahan's, "'when he had just had an unlucky altercation with Adam Smith, to whom he'd been so rough.' that Strahan, after Smith was gone, had remonstrated with him, and told him that I was coming soon, and that he was uneasy to think that he might behave in the same manner to me. Footnote. I was once in company with Smith, said Johnson, in 1763, and we did not take to each other. End footnote. No, no, sir, said Johnson. I warrant you, Robertson and I shall do very well. Accordingly, he was gentle and good-humoured, "'and courteous with me the whole evening, "'and he has been so upon every occasion that we have met since. "'I have often said, laughing, "'that I have been in a great measure indebted to Smith for my good reception.' "'Boswell. "'His power of reasoning is very strong, "'and he has a peculiar art of drawing characters, "'which is as rare as good portrait-painting. "'Sir Joshua Reynolds. "'He is undoubtedly admirable in this.' but, in order to mark the characters which he draws, he overcharges them, and gives people more than they really have, whether of good or bad. No sooner did he, of whom we had been thus talking so easily, arrive, than we were all as quiet as a school upon the entrance of the headmaster, and were very soon set down to a table covered with such variety of good things as contributed not a little to dispose him to be pleased. "'Ramsay,' i am old enough to have been a contemporary of pope his poetry was highly admired in his lifetime more a great deal than after his death johnson sir it has not been less admired since his death no authors ever had so much fame in their own lifetime as pope and voltaire and pope's poetry has been as much admired since his death as during his life It has only not been as much talked of, but that is owing to its being now more distant and people having other writings to talk of. Virgil is less talked of than Pope, and Homer is less talked of than Virgil, but they are not less admired. We must read what the world reads at the moment. It has been maintained that this superfotation, this teeming of the press in modern times, is prejudicial to good literature because it obliges us to read so much of what is of inferior value in order to be in the fashion, so that better works are neglected for want of time, because a man will have more gratification of his vanity in conversation from having read modern books than from having read the best works of antiquity. But it must be considered that we have now more knowledge generally diffused. All our ladies read now, which is a great extension." Modern writers are the moons of literature. They shine with reflected light, with light borrowed from the ancients. Greece appears to me to be the fountain of knowledge, Rome of elegance. Ramsay. I suppose Homer's Iliad to be a collection of pieces which had been written before his time. I should like to see a translation of it in poetical prose like the book of Ruth or Job. Robertson would you dr johnson who are master of the english language but try your hand upon a part of it johnson sir you could not read it without the pleasure of verse footnote this experiment which madame Dacier made in vain has since been tried in our own language by the editor of ossian and we must either think very meanly of his abilities or allow that dr johnson was in the right and mr cowper a man of real genius has miserably failed in his blank verse translation boswell johnson in his life of pope says i have read of a man who being by his ignorance of greek compelled to gratify his curiosity with the latin printed on the opposite page declared that from the rude simplicity of the lines literally rendered he formed nobler ideas of the homeric majesty than from the labored elegance of polished versions Though Johnson nowhere speaks of Cowper, yet his writings were not altogether unknown to him. Dr. Johnson, wrote Cowper, read and recommended my first volume. And a footnote. We talked of antiquarian researches. Johnson, all that is really known of the ancient state of Britain, is contained in a few pages. We can know no more than what the old writers have told us. Yet what large books have we upon it? the whole of which, excepting such parts as are taken from those old writers, is all a dream, such as Whittaker's Manchester. Footnote. I bought the first volume of Manchester, but could not read it. It was much too learned for me, and seemed rather an account of Babel than Manchester, I mean in point of antiquity. And a footnote. I have heard Henry's history of Britain well spoken of, I am told it is carried on in separate divisions, as to civil, the military, the religious history. I wish much to have one branch well done, and that is the history of manners, of common life. Robertson. Henry should have applied his attention to that alone, which is enough for any man, and he might have found a great deal scattered in various books had he read solely with that view. Henry... Erred in not selling his first volume at a moderate price to the booksellers that they might have pushed him on till he had got reputation. Footnote. Henry was injured by Gilbert Stewart, the malignant editor of the Edinburgh magazine and review, who had vowed that he would crush his work, and who found confederates to help him. He asked Hume to review it, thinking no doubt that one historian would attack another. When he received from him a highly favourable review, he would not publish it, It contained a curious passage where Hume points out that Henry and Robertson were clergymen, and continues, These illustrious examples, if anything, must make the infidel abashed of his vain cavils. End of footnote. I sold my history of Scotland at a moderate price, as a work by which the booksellers might either gain or not, and Cadell has told me that Miller and he have got six thousand pounds by it. Footnote. Hume wrote to Miller, "'Hamilton and Balfour have offered Robertson, for his Scotland, a very unusual price, no less than five hundred pounds for one edition of two thousand. As Robertson did not accept this offer, no doubt he got a better one. Even if he got no more, it would not have seemed a moderate price to a man whose preferment hitherto had been only one hundred pounds a year.' Stewart adds, "'It was published on February 1st, 1759.' Before the end of the month, the author was desired by his bookseller to prepare for a second edition. By 1793 it was in its fourteenth edition. The publisher was Millar, the prize two guineas. End of footnote. I afterwards received a much higher price for my writings. An author should sell his first work for what the booksellers will give, till it shall appear whether he is an author of merit, or, which is the same thing as to purchase money, an author who pleases the public, Dr. Robertson expatiated on the character of a certain nobleman, footnote Lord Clive, and a footnote that he was one of the strongest-minded men that ever lived. he would sit in company quite sluggish while there was nothing to call forth his intellectual vigour but the moment that any important subject was started for instance how this country is to be defended against a french invasion he would rouse himself and show his extraordinary talents with the most powerful ability and animation johnson yet this man cut his own throat the true strong and sound mind is the mind that can embrace equally great things and small now i am told the king of prussia will say to a servant bring me a bottle of such a wine which came in such a year it lies in such a corner of the cellars i would have a man great in great things and elegant in little things he said to me afterwards when we were by ourselves robertson was in a mighty romantic humour footnote dr a carlyle gives an instance of this romantic humour Robertson was very much a master of conversation, and very desirous to lead it, and to raise theories that sometimes provoked a laugh against him. He went a jaunt into England with Dundas, Cockburn and Sinclair, who, seeing a gallows on a neighbouring hillock, rode round to have a nearer view of the fellow on the gallows. When they met in the inn, Robertson began a dissertation on the character of nations, and how much the English, like the Romans, were hardened by their cruel diversions of cock-fighting, bull-baiting, etc., for had they not observed three Englishmen on horseback do what no Scotchman or here Dundas interrupted him and said, What? Did you not know, Principal, that it was Cockburn and Sinclair and me? This put an end to theories, etc., for that day. End of footnote. He talked of one whom he did not know, but I downed him with the King of Prussia. Yes, sir, said I, you threw a bottle at his head. Footnote. This was a favourite word with Johnson and Mrs. Thrale. "'Long live Mrs. G. that downs my mistress,' he wrote. "'Did you quite down her?' he asked of another lady. "'Miss Burney caught up the word. I won't be downed,' she wrote. End of footnote. An ingenious gentleman was mentioned, concerning whom both Robertson and Ramsay agreed that he had a constant firmness of mind, for after a laborious day and amidst a multiplicity of cares and anxieties he would sit down with his sisters and be quite cheerful and good-humoured such a disposition it was observed was a happy gift of nature johnson i do not think so a man has from nature a certain portion of mind he, the use he makes of it depends upon his own free will that a man has always the same firmness of mind, I do not say, because every man feels his mind less firm at one time than another, but I think a man's being in a good or bad humour depends upon his will. I, however, could not help thinking that a man's humour is often uncontrollable by his will. Johnson harangued against drinking wine. A man, said he, may choose whether he will have abstemiousness and knowledge, or claret in ignorance. Dr. Robertson, who is very companionable, was beginning to dissent as to the prescription of claret. Footnote Dr. A. Carlyle tells how Robertson with one of his pupils and he visited at a house where some excellent claret flowed freely. After four days, Robertson took me into a window before dinner and with some solemnity proposed to make a motion to shorten the drinking if I would second him. "'Because,' added he, "'although you and I may go through it, I am adverse to it on my pupil's account. I answered that I was afraid it would not do, as our Toastmaster might throw ridicule upon us, as we were to leave the island the day after the next, and that we had not proposed any abridgment till the old claret was all done, the last of which we had drunk yesterday.' "'Well, well,' replied the doctor. "'Be it so, then, and let us end as we began.' End of footnote. "'Johnson,' with a placid smile, "'Nay, sir, you shall not differ with me. As I have said that the man is most perfect who takes in the most things, I am for knowledge and claret.' "'Robertson,' holding a glass of generous claret in his hand, "'Sir, I can only drink your health.' "'Johnson,' Sir, I should be sorry if you should be ever in such a state as to be able to do nothing more.' "'Robertson,' Dr. Johnson, allow me to say that in one respect I have the advantage of you. When you were in Scotland, you would not come to hear any of our preachers, whereas, when I am here, I attend your public worship without scruple, and indeed with great satisfaction. Footnote. Johnson, when asked to hear Robertson preach, said, I will hear him if we will get up into a tree and preach, but I will not give a sanction by my presence to a Presbyterian assembly. End of footnote johnson why sir that is not so extraordinary the king of siam sent ambassadors to louis the fourteenth but louis the fourteenth sent none to the king of siam footnote mrs piozzi confidently mentions this as having passed in scotland boswell she adds i was shocked to think how he johnson must have disgusted him robertson she we may well believe felt no more shock then robertson felt disgust and the footnote here my friend for once discovered a want of knowledge or forgetfulness for louis Fourteenth did send an embassy to the king of siam and the abbé Choisy, who was employed in it published an account of it in two volumes the next day thursday april the 30th i found him at home by himself johnson well sir ramsay gave us a splendid dinner i love ramsay you will not find a man in whose conversation there is more instruction, more information, and more elegance than in Ramsay's. Boswell. What I admire in Ramsay is his continuing to be so young. Johnson. Why, yes, sir, it is to be admired. I value myself upon this, that there is nothing of the old man in my conversation. I am now sixty eight, and I have no more of it than at twenty eight. Boswell. But, sir, would not you wish to know old age? he who is never an old man does not know the whole of human life for old age is one of the divisions of it johnson nay sir what talk is this boswell i mean sir the sphinx's description of it morning noon and night i would know night as well as morning and noon johnson what sir would you know what it is to feel the evils of old age would you have the gout would you have the crappitude? seeing him heeded i would not argue any farther but I was confident that I was in the right. I would in due time be a nester, an elder of the people, and there should be some difference between the conversation of twenty-eight and sixty-eight. A grave picture should not be gay. There is a serene, solemn, placid old age. Johnson. Mrs. Thrill's mother said of me what flattered me much. A clergyman was complaining of want of society in the country where he lived, and said, they talk of runts, that is, young cows, sir said mrs salisbury mr johnson would learn to talk of runts meaning that i was a man who would make the most of my situation whatever it was he added i think myself a very polite man on saturday may second i dined with him at sir joshua reynolds's where there was a very large company and a great deal of conversation but owing to some circumstance which i cannot now recollect i have no record of any part of it except that there were several people there by no means of the Johnsonian school, so that less attention was paid to him than usual, which put him out of humour, and upon some imaginary offence from me he attacked me with such a rudeness that I was vexed and angry, because it gave those persons an opportunity of enlarging upon his supposed ferocity, and ill-treatment of his best friends. I was so much hurt, and had my pride so much roused, that I kept away from him for a week, and perhaps might have kept away much longer, nay, gone to Scotland without seeing him again, had not we fortunately met and been reconciled. To such unhappy chances are human friendships liable. Footnote. It was on this day that Johnson dictated to Boswell his Latin translation of Dryden's lines on Milton. and of footnote. On Friday, May 8, I dined with him at Mr. Langton's. I was reserved and silent, which I suppose he perceived, and might recollect the cause. After dinner, when Mr. Langton was called out of the room, and we were by ourselves, he drew his chair near to mine, and said, in a tone of conciliating courtesy, "'Well, how have you done?' "'Boswell, sir, you have made me very uneasy by your behaviour to me when we were at last at Sir Joshua Reynolds's. "'You know, my dear sir, no man has a greater respect and affection for you, or would sooner go to the end of the world to serve you. "'Now to treat me so—' He insisted that I had interrupted him, which I assured him was not the case, and proceeded, "'But why treat me so before people who neither love you nor me?' "'Johnson,' well, I'm sorry for it. I'll make it up to you twenty different ways, as you please. "'Boswell,' I said to-day to Sir Joshua, when he observed that you tossed me sometimes. "'Well, sir,' said he, we had good talk. "'Boswell,' "'Yes, sir, you tossed and gored several persons.' and a footnote. "'I don't care how often or how high he tosses me, when only friends are present, for then I fall upon soft ground, but I do not like falling on stones, which is the case when enemies are present. I think this is a pretty good image, sir.' "'Johnson.' "'Sir, it is one of the happiest I have ever heard. The truth is, there was no venom in the wounds which he inflicted at any time, unless they were irritated by some malignant infusion by other hands.' We were instantly as cordial again as ever and joined in hearty laugh at some ludicrous but innocent peculiarities of one of our friends footnote very likely their host and the footnote boswell do you think sir it is always culpable to laugh at a man to his face johnson why sir that depends upon the man and the thing if it is a slight man and a slight thing you may for you take nothing valuable from him he said i read yesterday dr blair's sermon on devotion from the text cornelius a devout man his doctrine is the best limited the best expressed there is the most warmth without fanaticism the most rational transport there is one part of it which i disapprove and i'd have him correct it, which is that he who does not feel joy in religion is far from the kingdom of heaven there are many good men whose fear of god predominates over their love it may discourage it was rashly said A noble sermon, it is indeed. I wish Blair would come over to the Church of England. When Mr. Langton returned to us, the flow of talk went on, an eminent author being mentioned. Footnote. Mr. Croker says, no doubt Dr. Robertson. Johnson says much the same of an author of considerable eminence. In this case, Mr. Croker says, probably Dr. Robertson. I've little doubt that Dr. Beattie was there meant. He may be meant also here, for the description of the conversation does not agree with what we are told of Robertson, perhaps, however, Dr. Blair was the eminent author. It is in Boswell's manner to introduce the same person in consecutive paragraphs as if there were two persons and a footnote Johnson he is not a pleasant man; his conversation is neither instructive nor brilliant; He does not talk as if he impelled by any fulness of knowledge or vivacity of imagination his conversation is like that of any other sensible man. He talks with no wish either to inform or to hear, but only because he thinks it does not become to sit in a company and say nothing. Mr. Langton, having repeated the anecdote of Edison having distinguished between his powers in conversation and in writing, by saying, I have only ninepence in my pocket, but I can draw for a thousand pounds. Johnson, he had not that retort ready, sir. He had prepared it beforehand. Langton, turning to me, A fine surmise, said a thief to catch a thief. Johnson called the East Indians barbarians. Boswell, you will accept the Chinese, sir. Johnson, no, sir. Boswell, have they not arts? Johnson, they have pottery. Boswell, what do you say to the written characters of their language? Johnson, sir, they have not an alphabet.' They have not been able to form what all other nations have formed. Boswell, there is more learning in their language than in any other, from the immense number of their characters. Johnson, it is only more difficult from its rudeness, as there is more labour in hewing down a tree with a stone than with an axe. He said, I have been reading, Lord Cames, sketches of the history of man.' in treating of severity of punishment he mentions that of madame labouchere in russia but he does not give it fairly for i have looked at chap d'otoroche from whom he has taken it footnote chap d'otoroche writes la douceur de sa vieonymie et sa vivacité annoncent plutôt quelque indiscrétion que l'ombre d'une crime tous ceux que j'ai consultés par la suite m'ont cependant assuré qu'elle était coupable lord came says Of whatever indiscretion she might have been guilty, the sweetness of her countenance and her composure left not in the spectators the slightest suspicion of guilt. She was cruelly knouted, her tongue was cut out, and she was banished to Siberia. End of footnote. He stops where it is said that the spectators thought her innocent, and leaves out what follows, that she nevertheless was guilty. Now this is being as culpable as one can conceive to misrepresent fact in a book, and for what motive it is like one of those lies which people tell one cannot see why the woman's life was spared and no punishment was too great for the favourite of an empress who had conspired to dethrone her mistress boswell he was only giving a picture of the lady in her sufferings johnson nay don't endeavour to palliate this guilt is a principal feature in the picture Keames is puzzled with a question that puzzled me when i was a very young man "'Why is it that the interest of money is lower when money is plentiful? "'For five pounds is the same proportion of value to a hundred pounds "'when money is plentiful as when it is scarce. "'A lady explained it to me. "'It is, said she, because when money is plentiful "'there are so many more who have money to lend "'that they bid down one another. "'Many have, then, a hundred pounds, and one says, "'Take mine rather than another's, and you shall have it at four per cent. "'Boswell?' does lord kames decide the question johnson i think he leaves it as he found it footnote mr croker says here i think the censure is quite unjust lord kames gives in the clearest terms the same explanation kames made many corrections in the later editions on turning to the first i found as i expected that johnson's censure was quite just kames says Whatever be the cause of high or low interest, I am certain that the quantity of circulating coin can have no influence. Supposing the half of our money to be withdrawn, a hundred pounds lent out still to afford but five pounds as interest, because if the principal be doubled in value, so is also the interest. This passage was struck out in later editions. End of footnote. End of section 36